0: Well, we are concluding today a four-part series called, I Love My Church. In fact, would you say that with me? It'd make me feel so good. Here we go. I love my church. I hope you do. And this has been about the mission of Christ Community Church. And if you were here three weeks ago when we launched the series, you might recall, I opened with a Chicago Cubs analogy. All right, remember, I put on my ball cap and, and everything. I talked about the mission of the Cubs is to win a World Series in 2015. This could be the year. Hope springs eternal, all that. And uh, so, you know, that's how I introduced this series on the mission of the church. Well, I thought it would be fitting to conclude this series with another Cubs analogy. So my apologies to those of you who are not baseball fans or who have the bad taste of rooting for that other Chicago team on the south side, all right? But this, uh, you know, let, let, let me ask the question How many of you have seen a game at Wrigley Field? Raise your hand, okay? Most of you have. Uh, I've seen ball games all across the country, and it, it is my humble and very objective opinion that Wrigley Field is the best place to see a ball game, okay? Some of it has to do with the antiquity, the nostalgia surrounding the place. The park is 100 years old, they celebrated the 100th year anniversary this past summer of Wrigley Field. Uh, George Will, the well-known political columnist who is also a huge baseball fan, he wrote a book in honor of the 100th anniversary uh, that I read, and in the book he espouses a very interesting theory. Now, follow this, okay? His theory is because Wrigley Field is such a great place to watch a ball game, you know, that's one of the reasons that the Cubs haven't won a World Series in over 100 years. You say, you know, how does that work, George? Okay, he explains it this way. He says, baseball is a business. Okay, so if a team stinks, fans don't come to the game, so the owners lose money, and that motivates them to go out, spend big bucks, sign superstars who will help the team win games. As a result, fans will come back to the park, and the owners will prosper. It's business 101. You following this? Okay, but George Will says, unfortunately, that doesn't work in Chicago. Okay, because even when the team stinks, which it does frequently, fans love to come to Wrigley Field. And so the park is full and owners don't lose money. And until recently, they've not been motivated to go out and spend big bucks to hire superstars who will help the Cubbies win a World Series. Did you get it? Good. Let's do that again. Did you get it? Good. You're going to have to work extra hard because you're representing 15 seats a person, okay? (laughs) What in the world does this have to do with church? Okay, here's the analogy. It's easy to view church as kind of a ballpark experience. If you're spiritually inclined, you go once a week. You go for the aura. You go for the fact that, you know, it's fun to hang out with other spiritually minded people. But in the process, you could lose sight of the mission. Okay. Christ has given us a mission. He's called us to win a World Series. Now, what is our mission? Well, we've been reiterating this mission over the past several weeks. Before Jesus left the planet, he gathered his followers together. And he said, guys, this is the mission I'm giving you. It's recorded in the final chapter of Matthew's gospel. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus said, I want you to make as many people as possible into fully devoted followers of mine. I want you to make disciples. Now, the reason this is so important is because when a person surrenders their life to Christ, when they become a disciple, everything changes. Christ comes to live on the inside, begins to transform that person's life in this world and guarantees that person eternal life in the world to come. So making disciples is a pretty big deal. But here's what I think a lot of Christ followers miss with regard to this mission that we've been given. Instead of focusing on making disciples of others, you know, it's easy to drift into letting our focus become becoming disciples ourselves. There's a big difference. Okay, now it's important to become a disciple. My hope and my prayer for you if you've never surrendered your life to Christ is that at some point you'll make Jesus Savior and King of your life. You'll become a disciple. But if that's all we focus on becoming disciples ourselves... Then we will begin to view our church in terms of how well it's serving us, how well it's serving our families. Is it helping us become disciples, ourselves? And we'll lose sight of the fact that the bigger mission is to make disciples, to make disciples of others. Christ has called you not merely to become a disciple of His, He's called you to make disciples. You are to make disciples. Now, how are disciples made? Well, the process begins, as you've heard me say, when a a person surrenders their life to Christ. So if you've become a disciple uh, of of Jesus, it's because at some point in time you did this surrender thing. And you you probably prayed a prayer something like this. You said, "Dear, dear Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner and that my sin has alienated me from a perfectly holy God. And I know, according to your word, that sin deserves death. Okay, but Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Jesus took the death my sins deserve. So I'm putting my hope and my trust in Jesus. I'm asking Jesus for forgiveness, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. I'm making him king. I'm getting off the throne and making Jesus king of my life. You prayed a prayer something like that, and thus began your spiritual journey. That was the first step in becoming a disciple. But here's what I want to focus on today. Somebody helped you take that first step. Okay, Somebody introduced you to Christ. Somebody took a Bible and explained what I've just said, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you need to surrender your life to him and make him Savior and King. Somebody did that for you. And now Jesus wants you to do that for somebody else. He wants you to become a disciple maker. He wants you to think of church not simply as a good place to see a ballgame, so to speak, spiritually for yourself. He wants you to be part of a team that's making disciples of others. You with me? Okay, so how do, we, how do we make disciples? How do we get in the game? Around Christ Community Church, we call this making disciples of others. We call it reaching. Say reaching with me. Reaching. Yeah, this is, this is one of four uh, main goals, four parts of our mission. Our mission is to make disciples who are belonging, growing, serving, and reaching. So there are three parts to reaching. We're going to take a look at this in Colossians chapter 4. So if you brought a Bible with you, would you turn with me to Colossians 4? You know, this is how to become a reacher. So instead of just enjoying the ball game, you're becoming part of the team that is making disciples of others, reaching out. And what we're about to see in Colossians 4 is that this three-step process of reaching is energized by prayer. Every step in the process is energized by prayer. If you've got your Bible open to Colossians 4, I'm going to begin reading at verse 2. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. Stop right there, middle of verse 3, stop. Twice Paul's mentioned prayer already. Devote yourselves to prayer pray for us that God may open a door for our message. But it's not prayer in general that Paul is promoting here. It's prayer for something very specific. It's a reaching prayer. Okay, Reachers are prayers. They're praying, as Paul does here, for an open door for his message. Now, I find this very intriguing because you, you just got to keep in mind here, this is the great apostle Paul asking for prayer that he'd be a better reacher. I mean, this is the I'll take a bullet for Jesus Paul. This is the Paul who spread the good news of Christ over much of the then known world. And he's saying to the Colossians, pray this for yourself and pray it for me. What? That our message would go out, that God would open doors for people to hear the good news about Christ. Wow. You know, I'm thinking if Paul needs to pray that for himself and wants other people to pray it for him, I'm thinking I need to pray that for myself. You need to pray it for you. If you want to be a reacher, you got to become a prayer. you you, you got to pray this, what I'm going to call a three-open prayer. Now, you've heard me talk about the three-open prayer before if you've been around Christ Community Church for any length of time. This is the passage it comes out of. You're going to pray three things. You're going to devote yourself to praying for These three things. In fact, look at the first word of verse 2 Devote yourselves to prayer. Stick at it. Make it your habit. Pray this tenaciously. What? Three things. And if you haven't taken your, your program outline out yet, I encourage you to do it because this is a prayer. I don't want, want, want you simply to know, I want you to pray. So, if, you know, you can't pray it unless you do know it. So, jot this down. Number one, you pray for an open door. You pray for an open door. And this comes right out of verse 3. Paul says that he wants them to pray that God may open a door for our message. Okay, when you pray for an open door, here's what you're praying. You're praying that God would give you an opportunity to have a spiritual discussion with somebody else. Okay, you're praying that God would give you an opportunity to have a spiritual discussion with somebody else. It may be a discussion that you initiate. It may be a conversation that the other person initiates. You know, but suddenly you're at work, you're at school, wherever, and whoa, all of a sudden an open door. Somebody's talking about God. Maybe it's you or what happened at church that weekend or something you got out of the Bible. And you're you're off and running. One thing I know for sure is that open doors are more likely to occur if we're praying for them to happen. You know, I think that's why Paul says at the end of verse 2, look at at verse 2 again. As we pray, he says, we're to be watchful and thankful. See that line, watchful and thankful. When we're praying for God to give us open doors, we tend to look for them. Okay, If I'm praying, God, give me an open door, I'm looking to see, I'm watchful to spot an open door. And then I'm thankful because when the door opens up and I'm able to have a spiritual discussion with somebody else, I walk away saying, thank you, God, that was great, that was awesome. You know, thank you not only for the conversation, thank you for opening, for, for, for answering my prayer for an open door. And when we're not praying for open doors, conversely, guess what? Open doors don't happen. You know, we just don't see them. And so we have no reason to thank God for the privilege of talking to somebody else about Christ because it doesn't happen. I want you to try this. I want you to try it. I want you to... This week, pray for open doors. When you show up at school, when you show up at work, you get out of your car and you walk into the place, pray, God, today, give me an open door. Okay, when you, you go out to hang with a friend over coffee or you're watching the Super Bowl this weekend with a, a bunch of buds, you, you pray, God, give me an open door. When, when you walk into the gym to work out, when you arrive at the dog park with your pooch, you know, when you take off on a business trip with some coworkers, you pray, God, give me an open door. Pr- praying for an open door creates a sense of expectancy. You, you anticipate that God is going to move a conversation in a spiritual direction, either by your initiative or the initiative of the other person. Now, a couple of side notes here. One is, you know, praying for an open door, uh, this is not simply something you do on the spur of the moment. This is not just a spontaneous sort of deal. You know, I jumped on an airplane this past week to go to San Diego, and, and so when I'm getting on the airplane I'm praying god give me an open door you know maybe my seatmate a conversation is going to develop so you can do it in spontaneous situations like that but praying for an open door is also something that god wants us to do systematically and regularly for the people in our lives who don't know jesus so it's even a good idea i like to keep a little list and maybe you got a list of six people eight people a dozen people in your life who you interact with on a daily basis you'd love to see them come to know christ Well, you make your list and you take a couple names off that list every day and you you just pray them back to God. God, at some point, open a door with this person. So my neighbors are on my short list. And so it wasn't unusual recently when one of my neighbors came over to play some cards in the evening uh, to see a conversation drift in a spiritual direction because I've been praying for him for years now. God, open a door with this dude. And so we're, we're playing cards and he pops up and the conversation brings up the fact that one of his extended family members is making a poor moral choice that's hurting her life and he's broken hearted about it wonders what to do. Well, goodness, that's, that's an open door, right? When you're, when you're talking about morality and whatnot, it's easy to bring God into the conversation. And you know, by the end of the evening, as we've been sitting around playing cards, Sue was able to say, hey, can we pray for that family member for you? Now, this is not a praying guy, but he's saying, yeah, sure, go, go ahead. So, so it's because we're praying systematically, because we're praying with, praying with regularity, that God would give us open doors with people in our lives that we interface with on a regular basis, that those open doors come. Here, here's another side note to this whole thing. Just because you're praying for open doors doesn't mean you, you sit passively and you wait for the doors to open. You can do some things, you can do some things that create open doors. I'm going to give you two suggestions here. Okay, one is for your neighborhood. You've heard me say this before, but I will, I will continue to beat the drum for what we call canning hunger because it's so simple. Canning hunger is just three or four times a year, you go up and down your block, and you collect canned goods for your local food pantry. And before Sue and I started doing this, we knew a few of our neighbors. Now we know 26 of our neighbors, 26 homes worth of people, because for five, six years now, several times a year, we knock at their door, we're collecting canned goods for the local food pantry. Neighbors love it because it gives them an opportunity to participate in something they think is a good thing to participate in, charity. But as you're you're standing at the doorstep, and there's no other reason to go up and ring a neighbor's doorbell, right? You know, many people on our block, we don't know, right? But this gives you an excuse, and as you're standing there and say, hey, how are you doing? How's your job? How are your kids? I can't tell you how many times we've been able to say, whoa, can we pray about that for you? Or somehow bring God into the conversation. So that gives you an opportunity with people in your neighborhood. Let let, let me talk about another opportunity, go-team trips. Okay, when you go on a go-team trip, we'll we'll have over 300 people at Christ Community Church give up 7 to 10 days of vacation time this year to travel with 15 to 20 Christ Community attenders and work with one of our international, our half-dozen international impact partners. So you've heard us mention even in this service people just coming back from, from Nicaragua. Let me tell you about one mom I talked to who just came back from Nicaragua. She went with her husband and two of her kids. And she was telling me her 13-year-old daughter, her middle school daughter, had the opportunity to present the good news of Christ to a group of Nicaraguans and ask for a response, and several of them surrendered their lives to Christ. What do you think that does in the life of a middle school student? You You talk about excitement. You talk about thrill. You talk about putting some wind in the sail to walk now onto her middle school campus and talk about Jesus. So, so Go Team Trips are just a natural opportunity for you to experience open doors. If you've not been on one, I encourage you, go to our website, ccclife.org, go to Go Team Trips, and consider a Go Team trip in this next year. So there are things, while you're praying, open a door, open a door. There are things you can do to create open doors pray for an open door. Number 2, pray for an open mouth. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 4, pick it up in the middle of verse 3. Paul asks the Colossians to pray middle of 3 so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, why does Paul why does Paul call the good news, the gospel here, the mystery of Christ? Okay, when I say the word mystery in English, what do you think of? You you think of something that defies understanding, right? You think of something that's that's cryptic. You, You think of something that, you know, people will never be able to figure out. But that's not how the word is being used by the Apostle Paul in Colossians 4. It's not how the word was used in the culture of his day. A mystery in Paul's day was something which had been hidden, but now it's been revealed. Okay, it's almost like a secret, a secret that now somebody is telling. They're telling the secret. Okay, Christ is that secret because for centuries God has promised the world a Savior, but it's a secret. Who is this person going to be? Well, one day Jesus, God's Son, shows up on the scene and turns out he's the Savior, not coming to rescue people from a political tyrant but to rescue people from their sins that can damn them for eternity. He gives his life on the cross to pay the penalty, the death that people's sins deserve. Paul says, Jesus is a secret that I now get to tell others. I get to be the one who blabs it. Now, I, I love this imagery because it really jacks me up when it comes to talking about Christ. You know, I get to be the one who lets others in on the secret. I, we love to tell secrets. We, we love to be the boss who gets to announce bonuses, raises for everybody. Wouldn't you like to be the one who gets to announce that? Or we like to be the one who was the first to see that blockbuster movie, and now we, we walk onto the school campus, and we say, oh, you haven't seen that yet? It's so incredible, and we're describing it to our friends. You know, uh, in a week or two from now, my daughter Emily, out on the West Coast. She's going to give birth to her second child. And do you think I'm going to keep that a secret for very long around here? You're going to see pictures of the little dude up on the screen, no time flat, because there's no greater joy than being able to tell a secret. Well, Christ followers should be super pumped about talking with others about Jesus. But it doesn't always work out that way, does it? Truth of the matter is, we're, we're, we're reluctant. Why? Well, because we don't want to be considered a religious fanatic. Everybody else is talking about a football game and this and that, and we, you know, we talk about God. We, we don't want to be seen as pushy, pushing uh, you know, what we've experienced ourselves onto other people. Uh, we don't know how to start a spiritual conversation, like how do you go from sports or weather to God talk. And, and we're scared that if we do get the ball rolling in that direction, what if someone raises an objection? What if they answer, ask a question that we can't answer? All sorts of reasons why we're, we're, we tend to be reluctant to talk about Christ. Paul says, yeah, that's why you've got to pray for an open mouth. So you're praying for an open door and an opportunity comes up. Now you better be praying, oh God, help me to be bold. Help me to speak up. Give me an open mouth. Look again at Colossians 4, verse 4. Pray that I also may proclaim, proclaim the good news about Christ clearly as I should. A couple of words in that simple sentence I want to draw your attention to. One is the word proclaim. In fact, he uses proclaim twice. Verse 3 repeats it in verse 4. You've heard me say before, if there's a repeating word in a paragraph, God's getting your attention about something. Paul says the good news about Christ has to be proclaimed. In other words, it takes words. It requires that you say something. Please note, Paul doesn't say here, hey, pray that I'll really live the gospel okay pray that i'll really model what a life with Christ is about no he says pray that i may open my mouth and proclaim it say something you know i talk to christ followers uh, all the time who who speak of their relationship with christ as if it's something which they can communicate without words you know, they'll say, well, you know, I'm not good at talking about it, but I'm a good neighbor, try to be a hardworking employee, loyal friend, loving family member, and that's going to communicate Christ to others. No, it's not. No, it's not. You know, it's not that your actions are unimportant. Living in a Christ-pleasing way is certain to give what you say about God credibility, but it still takes words. You know, how are you going to help a person cross the line, make a disciple, put their trust in Jesus, understand what he did on the cross for them, and how they're to surrender their lives to Christ? How are you going to do that without words? you going to pantomime it? You no know, charades? You can't do that. It's going to take words. So Paul says, Pray that I may. Proclaim it. So you're praying, God, situations are going to come up to talk about spiritual things. Make me bold. And it's not just boldness. The other word I want you to note here is He says, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. Okay, so you're praying, as you pray for an open mouth, you're praying for courage, for boldness. You're also praying for clarity. You know, I don't want to confuse somebody else as we. The conversation drifts to spiritual matters. I don't want to leave out something really important. I don't want to use churchy words that people don't understand. Now, let me say something about clarity here that I, I hope will give you greater confidence as you talk about God or the Bible or church or prayer or Jesus, whatever. Okay. It's not your responsibility... To help another person understand what they need to understand in order to surrender to Christ. That's God's job. That's God's job. In fact, let me say, no matter how clearly you present the good news about Jesus, the fact of the matter is, another person won't get it unless God enables them to get it. Now, how do I know that? Well, this is what Scripture teaches. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The Apostle Paul says, you know, that the God of this mind, he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. Paul says people are spiritually blind. And unless God opens their their, their eyes, nothing we say about Christ is going to connect with them you know, so pray for God to open their eyes. Pray for God to open their eyes. However, just because it takes God to open, open people's spiritual eyes doesn't mean that we're off the hook. God still expects us to present the message, Colossians 4, verse 4, clearly. So just because it takes God to give them understanding doesn't let us off the hook of making our message as clear as possible. We need to know what to say. We need to know how to say it. So let me offer you three tools that will help you in this regard. You know, one of the tools, you hear me mention this all the time, is our God's Good News booklet. You heard the guy in the video say that today before the sermon. Now, he called it the blue booklet. Uh, We changed it out. It's no longer blue. It's, it's mostly white, little bit of blue print on it, but it's the God's Good News booklet. And it briefly describes the good news of Christ and how a person comes into a relationship with God through Jesus. So when I was getting... On the plane, when I was packing my bags to go to San Diego this past week, I checked my backpack to make sure I was carrying a couple of God's good news booklets. Because no telling uh, whether or not a conversation with somebody on the plane sitting next to me might open up. And it's great to have that little booklet. And it's so simple to introduce, to say, hey, can I share with you something, a message that's really changed my life? Typically, I don't, I don't do that out of the blue. It's after a conversation has moved in a spiritual direction. We're talking about God and say, hey, you know, there's a great summary of what the Bible teaches in this regard. Our church has put it in a little booklet to help people understand. Can I share this with you? Okay, so that's one tool. Another tool, and this is brand new in 2015. We are creating an evangelism seminar. It's a half-day seminar. going to be four hours long. It's going to help you share your faith in Christ with others. You know, how to begin conversations, how to move conversations in a spiritual direction, what to say, how to say it. we got a brand new pastor of evangelism, Jim Kay. He's going to be leading that. It's going to take place on the St. Charles campus uh, on February 7th, Saturday, uh, 8 to noon. It's going to take place on the Blackberry Creek campus on the 28th of February, and on the DeKalb campus on the 21st of March. So that's a second tool. Third tool I'd recommend to you is invitations. You know, what we try to do around here is encourage you to invite. Because if you invite a friend to Christ Community Church, they're going to hear the good news about Christ. And I, I don't simply mean weekend services, though that's a great place to begin. And surveys continue to say that the vast majority of unchurched people out there say that if they were invited to go to church with a church-going friend, they would say yes. That's what surveys say. Your friends are just waiting to be asked, hey, you want to go to church with me? And then we do these wow weekends. So we got a wow weekend coming up next weekend with Michael Jr., a guy who if you paid to see him in a club, first of all, Good luck getting in because most of his performances are are standing room only and it costs big bucks. But next week, free at Christ Community Church for you and your friends. He's going to be talking about his faith journey. You know, beyond weekend services, whether it's a regular service or it's a wow weekend, have you considered inviting somebody to participate in a second Saturday with you? You know, I, I've, I've got neighbors who've never come to Christ Community Church for a weekend service, but they've come to help me participate. Twenty of my neighbors helped me pack meals for Feed My Starving Children a couple of years ago. Thirteen of my neighbors helped me pack shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. Why? Because they think it's a good thing to do. It gives them an opportunity to rub shoulders with people at Christ Community who are disciples of Jesus. Okay, Alpha. You've been hearing about Alpha. Uh, this is another one of our, 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 our new programs in 2015. It's a 10-week um, small group study for explorers, people who have questions. They're not ready to trust Christ yet. They're still kicking the tires. Th- this is a program, as you heard in the announcements today, that's gone all around the world, and we're going to start doing Alpha at Christ Community Church. Your community group itself is a place to invite people. You know, people who you'd not think of inviting to a weekend service, but at work or at school, they've expressed an interest in the Bible, and you say, you know, I'm part of a group that studies the Bible every week. Why don't you come with me? FPU, Financial Peace University. You say, really? You're going to invite a friend to that? Well, let me tell you, if you're watching this in DeKalb, we had a great sign-up for FPU, just started. Over half the people who signed up for FPU in DeKalb from outside Christ Community Church. Why? Because they've heard about Dave Ramsey and this great financial planning program called Financial Peace University, and they signed up. You know, care night, Tuesday nights at Christ Community, if you know someone struggling with an addiction, someone going through grief because they just lost a loved one, okay, someone experiencing divorce, the trauma of divorce. You know, these are the people we're caring for on Tuesday night at care night. Moms, if you're a young mom, all sorts of opportunities to say to another mom of young children who's often looking for things to do with the kids, we got great children's ministries at Christ Community. Let me bring your child with mine to a Wednesday night Awana and you tell them a little bit about Awana and you invite him to come so we invite we it's it's just an easy thing to do pray for an open mouth pray for an open mouth because if you're a Christ follower it's because somebody opened their mouth and told you the good news of Christ it may have been your mom may have been your college roommate, may have been somebody at work, may have been a pastor in a church, a small group leader, but somebody opened their mouth. And you know what? Somebody opened their mouth to tell the person who opened their mouth to you. And somebody opened their mouth to tell the person who opened their mouth to tell the person who opened their mouth who, you see how this goes. There's this long chain, this this, uh, word of mouth chain that led to your surrender to Christ. How would you like to be the final link in that chain for somebody else? I want you to take a look at a video here, because this shows you the possibilities of what could happen. Watch this.
1: This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet, oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college, she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends. and It wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked, and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man, that is until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James, who was influenced by Thomas. Thomas on Uncommon Joy and Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met never will. Don't you love that? Yeah.
0: You know, I hope you watch that and you're thinking, that could be me. You know, I could be part of that chain in the life of somebody else. So, you pray for an open door, and then you pray for an open mouth, And finally, you you pray for an open heart. Okay, what what you're praying for is that person you've had an opportunity now to talk about spiritual things with. You're you're praying that they get it. You're praying that they're receptive. You're praying they don't just brush it off. You're praying that they want to talk more about it. So it it doesn't just bounce like Teflon off of them. Now, in the closing couple of verses of today's text that we're we're, going to look at, you know, Paul doesn't pray... uh, uh, He doesn't talk so much about praying for an open heart, somebody else. What he does talk about is becoming the kind of person who will create a climate of openness. So if you want someone to have an open heart and you're praying that God would give them an open heart, Paul would say, well, take a look at what what you say and what you do, because you could say and do things that will open others up, or conversely, you can say and do things that will close them down. So part of others having an open heart has to do with you. What kind of a reacher are you? So if we had time, I'd love to tease out all of the uh, characteristics. There's five of them that, as I meditated on verses 5 and 6 this past week, five of them just kind of jumped out of the text at me. This is the kind of person I want to become if others are going to have an open heart to what I have to say about Christ. Let me tick them off real quick because I want to get to communion and you can study them more on your own, I'd even encourage you to write these five traits on a three-by-five card. Post it somewhere where you'll see it. Begin to pray, God, make me into this kind of a person, because this kind of a person is going to open others' hearts. Okay, verse 5. He begins, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Characteristic number one, wise. Be wise. Be, Be wise in seeing outsiders as outsiders. See, we could go through life and we could see uh, people as that obnoxious neighbor or that geeky kid in my math class or that person at work who lets me do all the work and then takes credit for my work, you know, or that waitress who forgot to bring syrup with my pancakes or, you know, we're looking at the superficials. Instead of being wise, seeing outsiders as outsiders. Jesus in Matthew 9, a passage of Scripture that if you're following the Scripture Union Bible reading schedule, as many of us are, we came across this passage a week ago. Jesus confronts a crowd at the end of Matthew 9, and it says he saw people who were helpless as sheep without a shepherd. See, we look at a crowd. You you walk into a restaurant or a movie theater, or how do you see people? Jesus saw the spiritual need in people's lives, so be wise, be savvy. Second half of verse 5, he says, and make the most of every opportunity. Here's the second characteristic, aggressive. Paul uses a business term here. In the literal, uh, original Greek, it reads literally, buy up every opportunity. Okay, it's like you see a good deal and you buy as many of them as you possibly can, right? Right? Paul's saying you you walk through life and you buy up every opportunity you have to talk about Christ. Some of us are worried about being overly aggressive. i got to tell you, for every Christ follower I know who's overly aggressive, a bit obnoxious, there are 10 or 20 out there who are overly timid. In fact, if you're worried about being obnoxious, you will probably never be obnoxious. So you don't have to worry about it. Okay? You just go out there and be aggressive. Verse 6, here's the third characteristic. Let your conversation always be full of grace, gracious. Okay, a person who opens the hearts of others is a gracious person. Their words are kind and loving and so on. But one of my concerns is that the more that our culture drifts from biblical values, the more some of us feel like we got to defend those biblical values, we got to be culture warriors. We got to fight, fight abortion, fight gay marriage, fight this, fight that. And, you, you know, I'm not saying we don't need to stand for biblical values. We do. But be careful how you do it. You know, if you come across as a person who just wants to win arguments, you will never win people. You know, the way to win people to Christ is with gracious words, with kind, loving, encouraging words, to be the place at school, at work, you know, the person in the place who who people are attracted to because, you know, you always give them a lift when they're around you. Verse 6 continues, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Characteristic number four, be interesting. Okay, Paul says be spicy, yeah, salty. He's not talking about colorful language as in off-color language. He's just saying, you know... Be interesting in your conversation with people. You know, don't always talk about the same thing. If, if for you, you always gravitate to talking about the Blackhawks, the Blackhawks, the Blackhawks, or your, you know, your grandbaby, your grandbaby, your grandbaby, or politics, 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 or shopping, 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 let me tell you, the only people interested in talking to you are people who have the very same interest. Other people could care less what you have to say. Their eyes sort of glaze over as you go on and on and on about the thing you love to talk about. So how do you make your conversation interesting? Well, you find out what they're interested in and you talk about it. There are times when I even find myself Googling, like I know nothing about fishing. But if I'm talking to someone who loves fishing, I want to know a little bit about fishing so I can hold an interesting conversation. You especially do this with spiritual matters. You make your spiritual God talk interesting. You know, I met a new friend the other day, and we got to talking about church, and I said, you know, my church, the church I go to, is celebrating its 30th anniversary in 30 years. It's gone from half a dozen couples to 5,000 people. Now, why would I say that? Just to brag? No, no, I said it to get the very reaction I got. He looked at me, and he said, 5,000 people, incredible. How did that happen? I said, well, let me tell you how it happened. (laughs) And we're off and running on a spiritual uh, conversation. So make your conversation interesting. And then lastly, be well-informed. Last phrase of verse 6, that you may know how to answer everyone. I don't mean you're, you know, you've got all the biblical answers. Being well-informed means you're drawing the other person out so you know what their issues are. Otherwise, you're offering them stuff that they don't care about, they don't relate to. You're answering questions they're not asking. You know, so you ask them, you know, where are you on your spiritual journey? Are you interested in God's stuff? You know, are you a church goer? I mean, there are many ways to open, open this conversation. But then you know what their interests are so that you can talk in an informed way about things that matter to them. How do you become a reacher? How do you become a person who's part of the mission? Not just becoming a disciple, but making a disciple of others. Will you pray for an open door? You pray for an open mouth, for boldness and clarity. You pray for an open heart, not only that the other person would be receptive, but that you'd be the kind of Christ follower who would create a climate of openness regarding spiritual matters as you talk with other people. Now, we're about to celebrate uh, communion, so let me close in a word of prayer, and I'm going to ask as I close for our worship teams at other campuses uh, to take the stage so that we're prepared to do communion when I say amen let's pray Lord God what a vitally important message this this is our mission this is what you've called us to do you've called us to go through life looking for open doors praying that you would open conversations and as a result of our prayer we anticipate that it's gonna happen and it's no surprise when it does Praying for boldness, God, I pray that we would be bolder than we've ever been before. That even this week we'd have some conversations that lead us to say, oh God, this works. When I pray, you open conversations. And then God, we pray for open hearts on the people, uh, on the part of the people that we're going to talk to this week. Father, may, may the end result be as we saw in that last video people who surrender to Christ and then make disciples of others who make disciples of others who make disciples of others. We pray this in your name. Amen. In just a minute, we're going to celebrate communion, but I want to tell you about a really special communion service that took place in Bangladesh uh, recently. We've been working with a partner there for 15 years, but in the last seven or eight years, we've been doing church planting very aggressively. I mean, we're talking about like 5,000 churches. Now, these are little churches of 20 people or so, but representing like 100,000 people who've come to Christ in the last seven or eight years. It is simply amazing. And so we gather together the pastors of these churches, and most of them are responsible for like 10, 12 churches, these little groups of people. Some of these guys have been Christ followers for like six months, a year, and they're already pastoring 10 or a dozen churches. We get them together. You'll see it right here. We get them together a couple times a year to do some training in in Bangladesh, and we serve communion. That's what you just saw. You saw Bangladeshi pastors, 600 of them, each representing about 10 of these small congregations doing communion. We wanted you to see that, to know that as you take the bread, as you take the cup, as you participate in this, You're joining brothers and sisters around the world who are honoring Christ in this way, celebrating what he's done on their behalf. If you've been coming to Christ's community and you know yourself to have surrendered your life to Christ, we invite you to participate, whether you're a member here or not. If you haven't yet surrendered your life to Christ, uh, you know, we say either... Either do it in the next few moments as you bow your head, say, yeah, this is what I want to do, and then participate, or just choose to watch and observe what what goes on. But we're going to ask everybody to stand in just a moment. We're going to sing a couple of songs while we're singing. And by the way, if you don't know the songs, as soon as you catch on, begin to sing them from your heart. They're songs about what Christ did on the cross for us. While, While the songs are being sung, the ushers will release a row at a time. You come and you'll get the bread and the cup. You could take it right away, you know, symbolic of the body of Christ, the blood of Christ that was given for you on the cross, taking the death your sins deserve. So you could take it up front. You could take the bread and the cup back to your seat if you'd like. You could hit one of the kneelers. I love to do that. Just take the bread and the cup and kneel down and you know, talk to God, thank Christ for what he's done for you. And you could also take advantage of prayer not just on the kneelers, but we have elders and their spouses on the far side of the railings. And so if you'll just make your way over to the side by going to the back or the front of the auditorium, they're waiting to pray for you. So as we're singing, as you're taking part in communion, feel free to drift on over there if there's anything in your life for which you'd like prayer. I ask you to stand together now, and Ben and our worship team are going to lead you in this time of communion.